Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm getting closer to my home edition as we take a final look at training camp before turning our attention next week to the home opener against the L.A. Chargers. Coming up, I'll talk to CBS Sports senior NFL writer Pete Prisco, who says the Bengals will win one or two Super Bowls in the next decade with Joe Burrow at quarterback. If you didn't already like Pete Prisco, you will after our conversation. Then Dave Lapham joins me for nearly 40 minutes to wrap up training camp as we'll answer questions like, who were the biggest stars, the biggest surprises, the biggest disappointment, and much more. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since a handwritten note. The greatest sports broadcaster of all time, Vin Scully, has decided to auction off his memorabilia to take care of his children and grandchildren as well as contribute toward medical research. There are 305 items up for bid online, including a handwritten note that Peyton Manning sent to Scully on the occasion of Vin's retirement. It reads as follows. Dear Mr. Scully, I just wanted to congratulate you on your unbelievable broadcasting career. To perform at the highest level for as long as you have is truly incredible. I know that I speak for millions of sports fans when I say thank you for coming into our homes and calling so many memorable games. I wish you all the best in the post-broadcasting chapter of your life. I hope our paths cross someday. Congratulations again. Sincerely, Peyton Manning. How great is that? I love Peyton Manning and Vin Scully. And by the way, the current bid for that handwritten note at least as of this podcast, is a pretty reasonable 149 bucks. If you would like to check it out, just Google Vin Scully Hunt, H-U-N-T, auctions. Now, let's get to football. One of my favorite NFL writers and broadcasters is Pete Prisco from CBS Sports, mostly because he offers smart opinions, but also because he doesn't fall for the usual lazy national narratives that are used to take shots at the Bengals. He's critical of the team when warranted, but he'll also give the Bengals credit when credit is due. And he certainly did that when we spoke this week. Pete, back in April, you tweeted the following, I love Joe Burrow's game. He will be a star. What do you love? Well, it starts with the attitude. And uh, I'm a big believer in a guy having a swagger. And he has it. And, and, you know, just spending the briefest amount of time I've been with him, uh, I just love the way he handles himself. And he's got a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he, he's the first guy to tell you, look, I, did, I didn't come the conventional way, and I'm going to play that way. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the most important things. And, and having talked to guys, and we had Zach Taylor on this week, and listened to how he handles the huddle, that tells you he acts like a veteran. So I think he added it all together. You remind, by the way, one more thing. He reminds me of Tom Brady, the way he maneuvers a pocket. And, and that's a really good trait to have in the NFL. He's a little more athletic than Tom Brady, but he can maneuver that pocket and make plays. 
I would think that's about the highest praise you could give to a rookie quarterback to mention him in the same sentence as Tom Brady. Yeah, it is, and I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady. I mean, I just I said I remember watching him at LSU last year, and I sent that tweet out, and everybody got all over me. I, no, he's not Tom Brady. He just reminds me of Tom Brady the way he handles a pocket. He's much more athletic than Tom Brady, and doesn't have the arm that Tom Brady has. But but he just reminds me of him in terms of uh, getting away from pressure, stepping up, feeling it, feeling comfortable in the pocket, and keeping his eyes down the field. And and that's a big thing for a young quarterback. We're chatting with Pete Prisco from CBS Sports. When other national reporters pushed the narrative that Joe Burrow was going to try to pull an Eli Manning to avoid coming to Cincinnati, you pushed back and said that was dumb. What did you see that so many others didn't? Well, I mean, what is he going to do? Sit out a season and not play? You know, and, and it didn't make any sense. And I remember asking him about that at the combine. We were just having a conversation about it. It wasn't for on the record or anything. He said, I don't know where that ever came from. I said, and I told him, I looked him in the eye. I said, you know, if I'm you, I say, I'm going in there and I'm going to change the culture. It's going to be entirely different when I leave. And he said, that's exactly how I feel. And so I don't know where that came from and why that even you know, people ran with that. It made no sense to me. He had no other option but to play for the Bengals. And he's from up there. Why would he not want to play for the Bengals? Did it feel like clickbait to you? Oh, it was clickbait. It was, And, you know, when one does it, two does it, four does it, eight does it, and then it's 16, and then it's a story. And, uh, you know, uh, you know how that goes. And, and guys ran with it, and guys in the national media ran with it. I, I don't understand why they did. He was always going to play there. We're talking to Pete Prisco. You can follow him on Twitter at PriscoCBS. What did you think of the Bengals' offseason in general? I thought they had a good offseason. I mean, it hurts that Trey Waynes isn't there. You know, that that's you know one of the positions they wanted to upgrade, and that hurt. But I think getting Reader in the middle of that defense that will be a, or on that line will be a big addition for him, you know, with Geno and, and that group. And I think Sam Hubbard might be one of the most underrated players in the league. I think the front's going to be good. I worry about the young linebackers, but I like the guys they drafted. I think Logan Wilson is going to be a big-time player. Uh, I think they drafted well at that position. They're going to be very young, as you know. You know, Pratt might be the only guy with experience there. Um, and then I think, you know, you got to factor in a couple other things. One, you get A.J. Green back. He's, you know, and I still think he can play at a really high level. Two, you get Jonah Williams, which is an extra first-round pick. And so I think you add all that up, and I think they've had a very good offseason. What did you think of Jonah going into last year's draft? Really good player. He's going to be a solid left tackle for a long time. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be uh, Anthony Munoz good, but I think he's going to be a good, solid left tackle for a long time. And that, you know, that solidifies two important positions because the center's a good player. You know, people don't realize how good he is, how, where he's going in his career. So I think that was important. Uh, to get that line back in, on track again. And, and I think Mixon's going to really be the guy who benefits from it in a big way. Well, let's talk about Joe Mixon, Pete. Analytics say you don't pay running backs. The Bengals gave him 48 mil for four years. Good move or bad move? I normally would say bad move, uh, but he's only, what, 24 years old? And I don't think that contract's that much out of whack. I, I think that contract's in line with what the value of the position is. Uh, so good move. And I think you only saw hints of what he's going to be uh, last season in the second half. They had a hard time figuring out how to use him. Uh, Zach Taylor even said that. And they figured it out in the second half of the season, what he went for one th- over 130, 140, 150 in, in three games, to, in three of the final four games. So I, I do think that uh, in this case it's warranted. And it's not a crazy contract. I think it's a fair contract for both sides. He averaged 
over 100 yards a game over the last eight. So you're right. They figured out what was working best with him and this line. Yeah, and I, I think that's only the scratch of the surface with him. I, I really believe he's got, you know, leading the league type potential in him. Uh, and, and I think he, what he does in terms of running the football will be enormous to help take the pressure off of Joe Burrow. And, and let's face it, their offense is, is loaded with playmakers. If A.J. Green comes back, that kicks Boyd down to two, and then it keeps kicking other guys down. And, and I think that, you know, Tate's flashed at times. Uh, you know, if Ross can, you saw Ross in, in Seattle in that big game, I think if he can stay on the field, he's got ability. I like what they have on offense. I like what they have in the front seven. I worry about the linebackers, although I like the players. I just think the youth might show up there. And, uh, you know, I think the secondary will be revitalized because I think Jackson's going to play better than he did when he was hurt last year. A few more questions for Pete Prisco from CBS. You mentioned the recent interview with Zach Taylor. Did anything really jump out from that conversation? Well, I, I played for a, a clip that I uh, that I had of myself saying they were going to win one or two Super Bowls in the next, two, in the next decade. And he kind of said, well, uh, let's slow down a little bit, but I appreciate you saying that. I, I really believe that. I think they're building something there. And and it takes a big-time quarterback to have sustainable success in the NFL. You have to have that guy, and they have that guy. At least in my mind, I think he's going to be a star player, and he will cure your ills. If you have ills, the great quarterbacks cure them. If you don't have that guy, you're going to get exposed. And I think he's going to cure whatever ills they have in the long run. So, yeah, I think that was interesting he said that. And I also like what he said about him in the huddle. I mean, that, that they, they, he never acted like a rookie. And I think that's big and important for, uh, for a young quarterback. Do you think the Bengals get a bad rap for how they go about their business? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and there's been years where the rap was deserved. But, you know, the whole cheap and, uh, you know, they don't do things the right way. They have a limited scouting department. I think, I think that, you know, Tobin's done a really good job in that scouting department, probably uh, way too underrated for what he's done. And so, yeah, I do think they get a bad rap. I remember back they used to be the Bungles and, and they used to get the guys get in trouble. And, they, you know, but that, that's not what they are anymore. And I think that culture has changed there. And I think it's a good thing. And, and as they get better, that culture will continue to change. Pete assess the AFC North. Going into 2020. See, that's the problem. I think the Bengals are going to be that much better. That's a tough division. I think Pittsburgh getting Roethlisberger back makes them, to me, I think they're going to win the division. I think their defense is outstanding. Most people will pick Baltimore. I think they might have a little regression to the norm this year. Uh, I think it'll be Pittsburgh 1, Baltimore 2, Cleveland 3, and Cincinnati 4. But I wouldn't be shocked if Cincinnati somehow finished ahead of the the Browns. I I think they're going to get to 6, 7, 8 wins this year. And then next year, they're going to be a playoff team. Where are you on Baker Mayfield? I think last year is hard to grade him. I think it's one of those situations where he had a bad coach, bad tackles. He ran for his life. Confidence waned when he took too many shots. I I think he's got a chance to be a bounce-back player. Uh, He's got a lot of weapons. They improved the tackle spot, signing Conklin and drafting Wills. Uh, I think he'll be much better. He'll be more – he'll be much – more closer to what he was in the first year than what he was last year, I think. Have you been pleasantly surprised by how things have gone so far in NFL training camps, considering the the pandemic that we're all going through? Yeah, 
Absolutely. And you got to give a lot of credit to, A, the owners who spent a boatload of money to make those facilities, you know, safe and, and you know, made so the protocols were all in place. Because that's not cheap to do with the plexiglass and adding extra lockers and the whole deal. They spent a lot of money, and they're not going to be making a lot of money. So that's, that's kudos to them. But also kudos to the players. I, I figured when this thing all started that player number 75 on every roster – would try and go out and show everybody he's in the NFL, even though he knows he's not going to make the team, and you know, go to the bars and go to the restaurants and have people buying him drinks and getting in the middle of parties and stuff, and then he'd bring it back to the facility. Well, that even hasn't happened. So, yeah, kudos to the NFL owners, but also kudos to the NFL players. Did I see correctly that the Chiefs are your Super Bowl pick? They are indeed, and you know, when you get all those starters back and you have the best player in the league, and you have Patrick Mahomes throwing that football around, it's hard for me to pick against it. It's, it's kind of been one of those things where I, you know, I used to pick the Patriots all the time. I picked the Packers. I picked them again. I'm a big Rodgers guy. I don't think there's any, you know, regress in his game. And so, yeah, I'm picking the Chiefs again to win it all. But I also saw you say that if you were just doing a hey, the odds are too good to pass up bet, you'd throw one down on the Bengals at the ridiculous odds. It's crazy. What is it? Twenty thousand to one. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and if, if that quarterback is as good as I think he's going to be, uh, and that front plays like I think it can play, then you know, twenty thousand to one isn't crazy to take a shot. Absolutely, I would take that. You can read Pete Prisco's articles and find his video content at CBSSports.com. The Bengals have basically concluded training camp. On Saturday, they have to cut the roster down to 53 players, and then next week, it's all about getting ready for the season opener against the Chargers on the 13th. On Thursday, I got together with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, to take a comprehensive look back at training camp. Lap training camp basically ends tonight with a mock game. They will be in game preparation mode next week to get ready for the Chargers. So this is the wrap-up training camp edition of the podcast. So we're going to go through a wide variety of categories. We will each give our picks in these categories. And we're going to start with the offensive star of training camp. Who's your pick? Joe Burrow. <laughs> I'm going to finally pick him for something because and it's – I mean, his performance, his physical performance has been extraordinary at times, really, really top shelf. And then he's had moments that aren't, and he'll be the first to tell you that it's, you know, he's got to do better. It's got to be better than that. Um, but it's, ne- it's never just him. It never is just one guy. You know, there have been drops him and things. That, but he's had some things that he needs to clean up, and he knows that. But the thing that he has been consistent about every single minute of every single day is – dedication, preparation, working to get better. Don't waste a moment. Don't waste a second. Don't waste a practice. And uh, I asked him at one of the, you know, uh, Zoom conference calls about that. You know, where does that come? And he said, hey, his answer was the best thing at training camp in my mind. There are offensive and defense or defensive coordinators out there every day trying to get better. There are defensive players out there every day trying to get better. I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to waste a day. I I always have to try to get better. I'm thinking this guy gets it in such a high level. I mean, he really is a – he reminds me – I had the opportunity and the good fortune to meet Peyton Manning when he was an 18-year-old freshman at Tennessee. And this 18-year-old kid had 22- and 23-year-old redshirt seniors following him around like puppy dogs. He was the king, and they were the court. And that's what Joe Burrow is doing. Every single guy that you ask, Dan, on the team, you know, what about, oh, man, he took over the huddle. He's a leader. He's this, that. Every single player. So 
The tangibles, you know, have been there, but the intangibles are ridiculously off the charts, ridiculously. All right, since he's your offensive star of camp, I'll save him from a different category. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> it is. Thank heavens. I'm going to choose Auden Tate in this category. I think Tyler Boyd probably caught the most passes from Joe Burrow during training camp, and I think Tate caught the biggest ones. Touchdown passes in the red zone, that fourth down play uh, to end one scrimmage period one day, third down catches to extend drives. He's had a great camp. Um, and I, I think it underscores for me also the strides that he's taken since he got here. Four catches his rookie year, 40 catches last year, and he only started 10 games. He averaged more than 14 yards a catch last year, so he's not this, yeah, he'll get you seven yards kind of guy that, that people think, think that he is. He is a legitimate weapon, and I honestly think that by the end of this year, he will be third on the team in catches. I tend to agree with you Dan and the thing that was summation for me about Auden Tate last year's scrimmage he was in every snap and they were load managing other people this year's scrimmage he was one of the ones that was load managed that's how far he's come you know his his place on the totem pole he's climbing it man there's there's no doubt about it and I I give him a lot of credit because um last year I'm not saying he was a one-trick pony you know but the contested catch thing is obviously off the charts I mean his his ability to catch the ball over his head uh to time it the body control all that all the you know the vice hands the long arms everything I mean he's a he's a you know huge catching radius guy but in the off season he in my mind looks like you get a little faster a little quicker his body lean is better he's getting in and out of cuts better he's not telegraphing routes you know the big body guy tends to telegraph. I mean, Tate, AJ, these guys don't telegraph routes. They get up on the toes of the defensive back, and the DB has no. Auden Tate, sometimes you could, eh, you know, this is what his body's telling me he's going to do this. And he was kind of upright. You know, now he's running with a better lean, and he's quick. He's, I definitely respect your choice. Auden Tate has had a hell of a camp. I should clarify, when I said third in receptions, Joe Mixon might be ahead of him if they use him in the passing game the way I think they will, but third among the receivers in receptions after a healthy A.J. Green, I'm knocking on something, yep. and Tyler Boyd. All right, your defensive star of training camp. You know, I'm going to go with Sam Hubbard hmm. because when I watch Sam Hubbard, you know, you watch him in every every drill 100,000%. Every time they run team, you know, he's hustling. And then in the scrimmage, who got the sacks, the critical play sacks? You know, Sam, Sam Hubbard always gives you a consistent performance at a very, very high level. His bar is high, and he always tries to, you know, at least reach that bar, if not go over it. And, and I do think that, that his, his play does get contagious, not just amongst the defensive linemen. I think it's, it gets contagious, you know, up and down, uh, you know, the line of scrimmage at, at all levels. So I, I just, you know... I guess I like the guy so much, um, and, I, and I like the way he plays. I really think that from a consistency performance, uh, you know, he's, just, he's a grinder, man, and he grinds at such a high level of energy. I really respect the guy. He, w- he reminds me of uh, Edge Tim Crumry. Mm-hmm. Crumry was a pain in the butt to work against in training camp because he only had one speed. You know, coaches say, this drill's half speed. Eh, no such animal, Crumry. Sam, Sam can be like that. 
you know, and, and he's he's got a lot of the Tim Crumry attributes, all positive. I'm not saying anything negative about it. It's all positive for sure on the edge a little bit. I could go with Geno Atkins in this category. He's had a very good camp, but I'll go with Will Jackson as my defensive star of training camp. Two reasons. He's healthy. You know, he had torn labrum in his shoulder last year, so he got that fixed. He's healthy. And secondly, my man wants to get paid. <laughs> he's he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He sees his new teammate, uh, Trey Waynes, making $14 million a year. He knows that that's the kind of money that he can make if he has the kind of season he's capable of having, uh, like he did back in 2017. So Will Jackson's my guy in that category. Those are my two names, Sam Hubbard and W.M. Jackson. Sam <laughs> Hubbard and William Jackson, those are the two. All right, your biggest offensive surprise of training camp. Hakeem Adeniji. Mm. I like him. I'm not saying that he's going to be a starter this year, but, you know, I, you know we talked about it earlier. Six-round pick, there's tremendous value there. That was a steal. They did a great job. And I know that uh, they had him rated a lot higher, if not an early three, maybe even a late two. I mean, they, they were looking at him like that. And you say, okay, well, how could he be that high? And he didn't get packed, picked till the sixth. They took linebackers, biggest need, third and fourth round. Fifth round, I'm sure he was on the discussion with Notre Dame edge, uh, edge rusher, who has turned out to be, you got Hakeem and Hakeem. <laughs> and Hakeem, can, he can rush on the edge too. That's two good picks. Their fifth and sixth round picks are very good football players who make contributions this year. And uh, Adenogy is so fluid in his movement. He's got great feet. It looks like he's got a tremendous mind, too. I mean, he's got a good brain for the overall intelligence and a good brain for the game of football. I mean, I hope he develops quickly because I, I think he can help the football team. He'd be my, my biggest surprise in watching him on a day-to-day -day basis. My biggest offensive surprise is Mike Thomas, yep. partly because I had no expectations yep. for him whatsoever. Ten catches in four seasons with the Rams. He did miss one of those years with an injury, but he's a good receiver. Now, if everybody's healthy, he's not going to get a lot of reps at receiver, but I do think he'll make the team. He's a proven special teams guy. And if you go back to his final year at Southern Miss, 71 catches for 1,391 yards and 14 touchdowns, he just didn't get that many opportunities with the Rams. There. Mike Thomas, it's him. <laughs> he's right. There. He's right there. We're we're on the same on the same wavelength on the same uh, brains wavelength there. Yeah, I mean, the kid has jackhammer feet, Dan. Man, I'm telling you, he has got the quicks, and he's he's going defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. I think he's going to make the football team. Defensive tackle, they got thin quickly. Tupau opted out. Glasgow failed his physical. Wren had the quad surgery, so you know they're looking for another guy. You know, you, you have you have three, and let's knock on wood. Hopefully, everybody comes out of training camp healthy. They can't afford to lose another defensive tackle. If they lose a defensive tackle, I mean, the trio they have, you know, Geno Atkins, uh, Daniels, and Reader. I mean, that's that's high cotton right there. But you need a fourth guy, and hopefully, all those guys stay healthy. And and I think Bledsoe, he competes in there. He stays after it. I, you know, I, he's so steady, so consistent. That's what, you know, all coaches want consistency. I'm not saying that he has, you know, uh, a big upside, a huge ladder that he can climb, but he gets to where he, you know, his, he gets the most out of his ability, I think, on an every practice basis, and I, I like that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the team a defensive tackle. 
I may be showing some recency bias on my pick for the biggest defensive surprise of camp, but I'm going to go with cornerback Tony Brown, who had the great scrimmage that we broadcast on the radio at Paul Brown Stadium, nearly had two interceptions in a span of about three or four plays. But I think he's been pretty solid during camp. We'll see if he makes it. Uh, But he's a guy that started in the past for the Green Bay Packers. He was a part of two national championship teams at Alabama, ran track, was a track All-American, so he's got some speed. So, again, a guy that I didn't really know much when the Bengals picked him up, and now I'm thinking that maybe Tony Brown has an opportunity to contribute. All right, your biggest disappointment of training camp. Boy, defensively, it would be uh, Trey Waynes, you know, not being able to participate. I mean, you know, you got a guy that you're giving 14 million bucks a year to, 42 mil for three years, and for him to not even be able to have any participation whatsoever and you know, might be out for the year. If he comes back, it's going to be maybe for the very end of the season and depending on where the team is. I mean, if they're making a playoff push and he can come back, fine. If they're not, and I don't think that, that, he's, that he's going to come back. I mean, I, I, think, I think defensively uh, that would be my biggest disappointment. And offensively, it would be A.J., T. Higgins, John Ross, not being able to take enough snaps with Joe Burrow. That's a big disappointment to me. You know, it's like uh, you have a rookie quarterback that had no preseason games, no OTAs, you know, Zoom conference meetings. That's, that's been the biggest thing up until training camp starts. And then it's been sporadic at best. I mean, limited, if any, reps. At no time have all three of them been in the huddle at the same time with uh, Joe Burrow. To me, that's a that's a big disappointment, and you know, injuries and other things have contributed mightily, obviously, but it's still disappointing. Yeah, I'm there with you. Mine is AJ. It's not his fault. Injuries happen, but I've reached the point now where I'm seriously wondering how much he's going to be able to play this year. And I didn't really feel that way in the off season. Maybe I should have. I mean, he missed six games with a hamstring tear in 2016, seven games, big toe injury, 2018. Every game last year, torn tendons in his ankle, kind of like before Tyler Eifert was able to play all 16 games last year where you're like, is it ever going to happen again in his early 30s? Yeah, I mean, the football gods have have decided to make A.J. pay. (laughs) And like we know, and 3-21 and in those 24 games that he hasn't, you know, hasn't been able to participate. He is (laughs) such a big factor such a big factor in the offensive success and particularly the offensive success of a rookie quarterback. I mean, if, if, if A.J. Green is out there, you know, you know the defense is going to tilt to him, so you have other things that you know you can do. If A.J.'s not, now they can get real creative. You know, and it, it just the, the ripple effect is enormous on the other receivers, on the quarterback, on the running game, because they can't load the, po- uh, the, the, uh, the, the box as readily. I mean, it's, it's massive. So, you know, A.J. Green obviously is the kingpin, but love to see T. Higgins and John Ross. I love to see all those guys out there, uh, all, all hands on deck and totally healthy with no fear of I'm going to tweak something, pull something, should I, should I not go 100%, just out there just laying it all out there, laying it all on the line. I'd love to see that for, you know, 12, 14, 16 games. All right, the coach that caught your eye during training camp. Al Golden, because I think he's a hell of a coach. Al Golden turned Temple around. Al Golden turned Miami around. Al Golden, and this is a head coach. 
The guy knows how to coach football. He knows how to deal with people, obviously. That would be, you know, at the head coaching level in, the college, in, in college football, alumni, coaches, players, fans. I mean, that's ridiculous. So he's a people person, obviously. You know, and, and, and watching him work with these young linebackers, it's critical, critical. I mean, that position got abused. I don't even know if that's a strong enough word. But it, it was decimated, demolished, whatever. It was, it was ridiculous to watch. Now, it reminds me, like we talked about before, Mark Duffner, when they drafted Takeo uh, Spikes and Brian Simmons, Steve Foley, and they got Adrian Ross as a free agent. You know, same thing uh, this year, you know, with the, with the, with the draft picks. Uh, they have uh, Logan Wilson, uh, Davis Gaither in the, in the fourth round, Bailey, and then Spears as a free agent. I think Spears is probably destined for the practice squad, but I think the other three make it. So Mark Duffner, he was like, he had these, you know, these young linebackers that he was in total control of. And he knew that they were going to have a big impact on in increasing the, uh, the, the betterment of the football team. Al Golden is in – I'm looking at Al Golden. I'm thinking back to Mark Dufton with that linebacker group, Al Golden with this linebacker group. I think this group eventually is going to – there's so much upside there. I think eventually it's going to be like, wow, look at this linebacker group. You know, they're, they're kind of uh, – they kind of got some swag on this football team. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely – they're a voice to be reckoned with, you know, and not just a voice. They're, a, they're something to be reckoned with on the football field. So I, I, I really like what I see – what Al Golden's doing with these young guys, how he's molding them, and and uh, and I'm not saying that it was, you know, it was Al Golden's necessarily his idea, but to bring in a veteran like Josh Bynes, you know, the mix in the room, I'm sure he contributed to it. Uh, obviously, a lot of people uh, were involved in that process, but uh, bottom line is they bring Josh Bynes in, who's basically his assistant linebacker coach, as well as football player. They all all the young guys are talking about the football mind of Josh Bynes, and they're all amazed. So. I, th- I think Al Golden uh, gets a big tip of the cap. You had me at turn Temple around. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. was a minor miracle when yeah. he did it because they've been pretty good ever since, and he got it all turned around. I was tempted to go with tight ends coach James Casey in this category. I mm-hmm. think he's a rising star in the coaching profession. Mm-hmm. Fascinating guy. Pitched minor league baseball, then uh, went to Rice, triple major, 3.8 GPA, seven years in the NFL. I mean, anything he does, he succeeds at. But – the coach that caught my eye, and I probably could say this every year, Darren Simmons. Yep. He reminds me of the best teachers I ever had in life at Syracuse University, our alma mater. I had a poli-sci professor, Robert McClure, best teacher I ever had. And what was it about him more than anything else? Demanded excellence. You just you felt like you were letting him down yeah. if you did not go in there ready to go, ready to study, uh, ready to do your, your absolute best. Attention to detail, demands excellence, that's Darren Simmons. You're right. And, and uh, I guess I probably took Darren for, for granted as an assistant head coach. The organization knows the value he brings to the table. And Darren Simmons is, I mean, <laughs> year in and year out. Let's face it, I was worried that he was going to be in New England with Belichick. Let's yeah, face it. Too. And there were, there were other teams. There were, there were a few teams. And uh, when they threw that assistant head coaching tag at Darren Simmons and, and financially rewarded him, like I hope he was rewarded, because yeah, he has been solid as a rock. And you know the thing the thing that all great coaches have with players, you can respect a coach, and then other coaches you can like. But when you have guys that 
get the respect of players and players like him, like a Dick LeBeau. And there's there's a few of them down through the years that I've come across. And Darren Simmons falls in that category, man. And I and I think it's because, like you said, Dan, um, infants and young children crave discipline. They don't know it, but they crave discipline. They crave the organizational aspect of your life, of their lives that you give them as a parent or whatever. And Darren Simmons, that's the same thing with his players. I think the players look at Darren Simmons like, where would I be without this guy, honestly? All right, a couple more categories to go, then some uh, Ask Lap questions after that. Next category, the question you had going into camp that has been answered to your satisfaction. My two uh, question marks were left tackle and linebacker. And uh, left tackle, I mean, it was a five-man you know, merry-go-round at left tackle last year, and multiple contributors aren't even in the league this year. So that tells you where they were. And Jonah Williams, I think, is going to up the level of play at that left tackle position significantly. And uh, Jonah, Jonah's not necessarily a guy that is beastly and will pick the stadium up and move it a block, but he is as good a technician and a young player as, as I've seen in a long time. His footwork is extraordinary. His hands are extraordinary. His hand placement is. Um, linemen need to, when they're in pass protection, need to keep their chest and shoulders back and out of the fray. He does a great job of that. So, you know, I, I, I feel good about the left tackle position, but I haven't played a game yet. And, you know, my, so in his first two games, as we've said many times, you know, it's only Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett, so we'll find out pretty quickly. And then the other was, was the linebacker position, and and I've I like what I see. It's uh, athletic, can run. Um, they seem to be intelligent. They're not busting assignments. But again, I want to see them playing a the game. They haven't tackled anybody yet. You know, I I, I got to see them against other NFL teams, because you can get intoxicated watching the Bengals. The Bengals have NFL caliber football players. You watch them every day. It's like, and these guys are pretty good. Well. A bunch of other 31 other teams around the league are having camp, and they're all at least as good or better. So, man, until you start playing somebody else and they start doing things against you we haven't seen yet because you do fall into a little bit of a comfort level. Uh, Jonah's going against the same guys, although it's, it's good guys, Dan. I mean, you know, you're talking about Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson giving you an edge rush look at practice every day. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good caliber. You're going to get better going against people like that. So, and uh, – and, and you look at uh, the young linebackers having to cover Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard in space, uh, Drew Sample, C.J. Azama, tight end. I mean, those guys are good NFL caliber players where you're going to get better going against them in practice. But as Alan Ivins said, practice? <laughs> I'm talking at the game. Let's see him in a game. <laughs> All right. The uh, question that I had that's been answered to my satisfaction, this is where I will use Joe Burrow. My question was, will he be ready? And that's still to be determined, like right. you're saying. I mean, practice is one thing. Games are very different. But it's it's not that he's been perfect, but he's never been overwhelmed, maybe whelmed at times, but never overwhelmed. He exudes confidence. His teammates are, are feeding off it. You just sense that he's going to be fine. There will be growing pains. There are going to be moments. He'll throw interceptions. Again, I'm not saying that uh, he's ready for the Pro Bowl, but he's going to be fine. And uh, in the years to come, he's going to be really, really good. I agree, Dan. I think he's going to weather every storm. 
And Paul Brown had a tremendous saying, and I think it applies to Joe Burrow. The game's not too big for you. And the game is not too big for Joe Burrow. There is no question about it. And, um, you know, we talked earlier, bring up Peyton Manning again. Um, I remember talking to Tom Moore, who was with Peyton in Indianapolis, and Tom Moore said very early in Peyton Manning's career, it was obvious that this guy was Menza, football genius. And he, he elevated her because he elevate, elevated me. You know, he'd be, ah, coach, I think, I think it should be like this. Oh, you're right, Peyton, you know, smartest kid in the room type thing. And he said that I had to try to figure out ways to keep him interested and motivated. And he said it made me a hell of a lot better coach. And it made all the assistant coaches better coaches. It made his teammates better. And I think Joe Burrow has that, has that in him. I really do. All right, final category, your biggest remaining concern as camp winds down. My biggest remaining concern is don't lose any veteran football player that you, you know, project to make a significant contribution to injury or anything else. All hands on deck, and I, and I've seen I've seen weird things happen, you know. And I think Zach has done a heck of a job and almost almost bending over backwards, um, you know, with load management stuff. I mean, he he. His veteran players, if you're, you know, seven years or more in the league, when they have a day off, he gives them a veteran day to boot. So, you know, scrimmage, day off, then another day. So the load management part of it, he is, I think, obviously, A.J. Green going down in the first 45 minutes of, of, of training camp last year has is, is stayed with him. And you, you can only control what you can control, but he is absolutely doing everything he possibly can to make sure that – when the, when the 13th comes, the guys are going to be there ready to play. But look what happened last year with Alex Redmond. Pre-game warm-ups. Blows his elbow out. I mean, are you kidding me? So, you know, you think about A.J., the first, first 45 minutes of training camp. Alex Redmond making contributions to the offensive line. He blows his elbow out in pre-game warm-ups with teammates in, in their own end zone here at Paul Brown Stadium. Come on. So it, all I know is in this game – you never know. So, football gods, be kind. Don't take anybody away before this uh, L.A. Chargers game because I've seen it happen. And if, if you do take somebody away, please don't make it a significant player. <laughs> All right, my biggest remaining concern is the right side of the offensive line. Mm -hmm. I think center to left tackle, they've got a chance to be good. I think Trey Hopkins is certainly above average. Uh, maybe much better than that. I think Michael Jordan's going to be a very good NFL player, hopefully this year. I think Jonah's going to be fine and, and hopefully really good in the years to come. Still not so sure about right tackle, right guard. I, I really thought going into camp that Fred Johnson would beat Bobby Hart out for that position. It was never a contest. Hopefully that says good things about Bobby Hart going into this season. And I thought Xavier Suofilo would be a significant upgrade over John Miller. Having watched him in camp, I think maybe they're about the same. Hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, camp is camp. Games are different. Uh, but he has not dazzled, in my opinion. I agree with you. I will, I will say that watching him in the scrimmage, that was his best effort. And, I, and I'm, I'm optimistic that his best effort took place in the scrimmage. Maybe he's a gamer. You know, maybe he's one of those guys that, you know, just a veteran guy, you know, and he just whatever, and he, and he ends up being a gamer because 
yeah, I, I, I've not been like, whoa, right. Xavier Suofilo now. Ooh, man. And with Bob, looking at Bobby, a lot of people we've talked about have changed their body. Bobby did too. Bobby has uh, less in the caboose, less in the trunk, and, and he's quicker. And when I see him jumping people, I, I think that's when he's at his best. He, he again, n- neither offensive tackle are overpowering physical guys. They both have great feet, though. Bobby has good feet. So in my mind, they have to go jump people and not let them get started. Because, you know, at the end of his past sets and plays is when Bobby gets, like, bold and overpowered. So if, if you can bring the defensive pass rusher to a complete stop and make him restart, and I think Bobby's capable of that. Now, you've got to mix it up. You can't do a steady diet or anything. But you've got to, you know, you've got to change the, you know, you can't throw fastballs down the middle of the plate every single snap. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think Fred, Fred just has to mature more. You know, I think the one thing about Bobby, Bobby loves football, and football is important to him. And hopefully, Fred gets maybe a little more of that the importance of football. Football has to be, you know, really, really a big, big deal. And I'm not saying that it's not, but I think there's room to grow there for him. Um, and a little bit more. See, I'm not giving up on him because I think. Eventually, and it may be this year. Who knows? If he if he does play tackle or even guard, I think he could be. He and Michael Jordan could end up being the best run blockers on the team because they're so long. They're so. I mean, their leverage, their length and strength is so big, and that helps you in protection as well. So I'm certainly not giving up on Fred. Um, I think he could, at some point be a pretty damn good tackle. I think he just needs more seasoning. Glad to hear what you had to say about Xavier Suofilo as well, because he is a sheer delight. I love that guy. I, I want him to be a big success. Yep. Uh, I just don't think he's had a great camp. But then again, he's a guy, he had a broken leg at the end of last year. Maybe he's just, you know, getting back to 100%. Yeah, and, and when you watch him run, it's it's not a, you know, it's not a free and easy um, physical flow there. You know, I mean, he's he's got some a little bit of wear and tear on him. But I, I do know um, that the, his teammates love him because mm-hmm. he, he's almost like an assistant coach. And uh, Coach Turner said that, that that he take you know take the young guys and hey look this is what's worked for me try this think about this your body type is similar to this guy that I know he did this try this he said that he's been a big big addition you know to his teammates and offensive line coach uh, Turner said that he has been a big addition to that offensive line room for sure. Eagle Scout served others in a two-year Mormon mission. I think he's a good man, so hopefully he will uh, wind up having a great season. All right, time for some Ask Lap questions that were submitted on Twitter. The first one comes from Breaking the Curse. What do you think Marcus Bailey's role will be his rookie year? Probably heavy special teams. Um, I think that, you know, I think they put their bat on the ball in all three linebacker draft picks. He was in the seventh round, and the others were third and fourth round, and they were drafted there, you know, for a reason. And now we got to remember he had an ACL reconstruction. So, like you were talking about Xavier, I think Bailey's just starting to, you know, get his his land legs under him instead of his sea legs, you know. So I, I think I think that uh, um, there's room to grow there. I think there's some upside. Um, and it's not like he hasn't done well. I think he's done well. I think he's played well at linebacker. And they've had him in a full rotation, you know, in a lot of the sub packages. It's not like there's a, there's, you know, third, fourth round picks, and then gaping hole 
to seventh round contribution to camp. It's right there. It's right there. I, I like him. I think he's got some some explosiveness to him, and I think it's coming back. And I think uh, I think Darren Simmons, he's got some linebackers that can help him on special teams, and Bailey being one of them. From Brian, if a preseason trade were to take place, which position group would they be comfortable moving, and which would they look to get back? Hmm. Well, you got to think. All right, here's here's my assessment of defense. Defensive line above average, you know, if everybody stays healthy. All everybody everybody please stay healthy. Linebacker, big upside. Big upside. Below average last year, getting closer to average and upside to be even better than that. Secondary average. Offensive line getting better closer to average, but maybe a little bit below. Uh, wide receiver, above average. So uh, the two positions of strength, wide receiver, defensive line. If you would trade, you would want to improve your offensive line, or in my mind right now, the secondary. I think they've done a ton with the linebacker position. So those would be the positions I'd shift around, I guess, a little bit. And then it would be, okay, would you trade your fifth receiver for your fifth, for possibly a fifth best lineman? Hell yeah. Your fifth receiver is not going to be your fifth lineman is. Would you trade your fifth receiver for a seventh best lineman? Now you're thinking more, it's more, you know, even Steven. So, you know, and then you, th- you throw in a draft pick to sweeten the pot. But th- those positions would be the ones that I'd position of strength, maybe down the line move one of those guys to try to beef up my, uh, my position of weakness. But I will say, Dan, that um, they have the first crack at everybody that's uh, waived and the final cutdown. Now, that's uh, less than four years. Four years or more, they're terminated. They go anywhere. But anybody less than four years, a three-year um, corner that's, that somebody lets go, boy, maybe they have first shot at him. So the Bengals don't have to wait and say, oh, do we, do we get this guy? Because if you're the, the team that is uh, – it's just like the draft. If you're the, the 16th uh, spot in the draft and the 22nd you know, claims him and then the – oh, man, the 19th, you have to wait till the next day. Well, the Bengals, no. They put a claim, and they know they have a shot at that guy. So it, it, I, I hope, and I know they are, the uh, scouts and the personnel department, they're trying to anticipate who's going to be in that waived list amongst people in, in training camps. And is, is that, when you're looking at improving your, your final five or six spots on your 53-man roster, some of those guys may be a little bit better. There may be some movement. If I could trade my fifth or sixth wide receiver for Quentin Nelson, I would do it. (laughs) All right, question from Jacob. Does the offensive line look like they've improved a lot, a little, or not at all? Oh, they've improved. They've improved. It's it's just a question of how much. And, again, in the scrimmage, I was encouraged because they they did keep, you know, pretty much two groups together. The the first group, which which was – uh, Jonah Williams, Michael Jordan, um, uh, Trey Hopkins at center, uh, Xavier Suofilo at right guard, and Bobby Williams at right tackle. Bobby Hart. Uh, excuse me, Bobby Hart. Yeah, Bobby Williams. Big Bob. I like that Bobby Williams back. Big old Bobby. Bobby. Bobby Hart at right tackle. Those guys. I thought they. I thought they. Ran well. Ran the ball well. They they they've got some creases. They did a decent job. So. And they did it, you know, ones against ones. It was ones against ones, ones against twos and all that. But I think they're improved. Now, you know, how much? Again, 
don't know yet. You know, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding is still out there. It's out there against San Diego. It's out there against Cleveland. It's out there against Philadelphia and everybody else. I mean, I think, Dan, the first month of the season, I don't think any team is going to be anywhere near as good in September as they are in October. Spencer has the next question. I've heard that Drew Sample looks good in camp. What kind of role do you expect him to have this year? I think uh, a significant one. I think that that he's um, his first snap was against Jadavian Clowney up there in Seattle, and that was a, that was an eye opener. So he he can identify with what Jonah Williams might see, you know, working uh, working against Joey Bosa, and that's going to be it's going to be a challenge. But I, I I do think Sample worked with Sam Hubbard. Sample they had the gym in Sam uh, Sample's garage and it spilled out into the driveway, and and they both you know re worked on their bodies sample is not necessarily a ton difference in weight but the distribution of the weight's a lot different and I think that he could be the true tight end you know the tight ends in the league now um, even Kelsey as big and strong as he is he's caught he's known as a receiver Um, George Kittle is like a third tackle and he's like a, a receiver in the passing game that's what they hope Sample can be. Sample came out of college as the best blocking tight end. That's why he went in the second round out of Washington, University of Washington. And I thought, I think, Dan, that his confidence, his route running, his ability to catch it, the tight ends had a tough scrimmage. He dropped one, CJ dropped, and CJ had a tough day. They also had three catches apiece, though. They did. Mm-hmm. And that tells you, though, he was pumping them. Yeah. Both quarterbacks were feeding those tight ends. They're going to be important. They're going to be very important in the offense this year. And I think, I think Sample will be a you know, a two two phase player. I think he'll he'll be a factor in the passing attack, and I think he's going to be he'll set the edge in the running game. Matthew asks, "Were you ever interested in becoming a coach? And if so, would you have stuck to the offensive line, or would you ventured out to a different spot?" Initially, I would have gone with the offensive line, but if you get into coaching, normally you want to try to advance to as high a level as you can. So, um, yeah, I mean, if I, if I had decided to do it, I don't think I would have been in Jim McNally and said I want to just be an offensive line coach my whole career. I think I would have tried to dabble as an offensive coordinator and be a head coach, be Forrest Gregg, you know, be some of the other offensive line coaches. Andy Reid, um, you know, became I, – I, I first met Andy Reid when he was a, a, a grad assistant graduate from BYU at University of Missouri. And I was like, man, this guy – this young guy's pretty impressive. And, Obviously, it worked for him. You were right. I was right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I did have an interest. Forrest Gregg inquired about it. Um, college coaches like Mac Brown and uh, Les Miles inquired about it. But as big an interest as I had, my wife had even less. <laughs> <laughs> so, as they say, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> unhappy wife, unhappy life. And, I, and you know, I thought, uh, you know, my, that my kids really love Cincinnati. They, they really – you know, I, I thought, hey, do I uproot my family? Maybe hopscotch around, pogo stick around. Um, both my kids, have, they're here in Cincinnati. They've got kids. They're raising their families here. So from a family standpoint, I feel good about the decision I made. But there's always that what if. I always think about it that, man, I think I would have liked it. I know I would have enjoyed it and liked it. And how good would I have been? Who knows? Um, to be determined, I guess, or not to be determined because it won't happen now. But uh, – here recently, uh, there was another thing thrown at me as a, as, as a, a very, very 
early stages with the Raiders, but didn't pursue that. So at the age I'm at, I think I'm going to be a uh, color analyst uh, for the Bengals radio network, Dan, at this point in time. You would have been a great coach. Tremendous. Head coach, O-line coach. Your guys would have loved playing for you. You would have won big. But we're happy at Joe's Broadcasting, so I'm I'm grateful uh, that you uh, elected to get into this line of work. All right, final question comes from a different Matthew. We always like to end with kind of a wild card type question. What's the most cheese conies you've ever had in one sitting? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The most I've ever had. Oh, gosh. I mean, four went down so fast. I think – I think it may. I think it might have been a good half dozen. I could have continued. You know, I, th- I think that was it. I think, yeah, I can, I can get those things done quickly. There's no doubt about that. Love them. Love them to death. Yeah, I don't have. I don't think I could compete with you in that category. But you know, I grew up in the Buffalo area, so yeah. if you want to go chicken wings for a relatively slender person, I can knock them down. <laughs> Got a great, great chicken wing story. Training camp. Pete Johnson, he would take a chicken wing, put that thing in his mouth, pull it out. The meat, the cartilage, everything was gone. Shiny bone. Like a piranha. Just like in the mouth, pull it out. Bare bone. Nothing left on that bad boy. Our Bengals radio shows get underway next week with Bengals game plan on Wednesday night from 6 to 8. Then on Friday, it's the Bengals pep rally show from 3 to 6. We hope you'll tune in on the radio on ESPN 1530 in Cincinnati, online at ESPN1530.com, or by searching for ESPN 1530 on the iHeartRadio app. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps. More Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.